Paul writes his first letter to the Corinthians as a church that's full of confusion, divisions, factions, people glorifying themselves and seeking their own selfish end. It's a church which is in a real mess. And surprisingly, at the same time, it is a church which has a lot of special gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, we have to understand, as, as you look through chapter 12, as we read through it, and you look there in verses 4 through to 11, the, the list of gifts that Paul gives there focus on the special and temporary gifts that characterize the early church just after the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. And these gifts were bestowed on people through the laying on of hands. That's when these special gifts would come upon people, when the apostles would lay their hands on someone. And then these gifts of prophecy and tongues and healings and miracles would be given in that way. And that's exactly why, as the apostles died, John was the one that lived the longest towards the end of, towards maybe the year 100 or so. And then as the people who had been, um, had their hands, the apostles' hands laid on them, as they died off, the special gifts die out. And you see that in the history and the records of the church in the second century, that these special gifts die out more and more quickly. But right now, as he writes to the Corinthians, these special gifts are, are still very much uh, at work. They're present, and one of the main reasons is, is that through these gifts, God would give revelation. Through tongue-speaking, words of prophecy, he would give revelation. The New Testament wasn't finished yet, and so a lot of the things that we know by just opening up our Bible and checking, they didn't know. So they would ask the Lord, he would give them a, a, a prophecy, a speaking in tongues, which would be interpreted. And that's what's happening in Corinth. There's a lot of it happening because Paul spent a year and a half there. And so because he spent a very long time there, he laid hands on a lot of people. There are a lot of gifts. So we have this very strange situation. We have a church which is full of all kinds of special and amazing gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we have a church which is a real mess. And it's divided. And people are glorifying themselves. They're not using the gifts of the Spirit to bring glory to God, to be a blessing to the church. They're not seeking the edification of the body. But worship is in disarray as people are just so excited about their gifts that they're saying, why don't you just be quiet? It's my turn to shine now. I want to stand up and show what I can do in the power of the Spirit. So good gifts are used for evil purposes. And so Paul comes to this congregation in this first letter, and he does a lot of reproving, a lot of admonition. As we read through the letter, chapter 1, all right through to chapter 11, Paul's basically full-time telling them off, saying, you can't be like this. This is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. This sexual immorality, which is just living in the midst of the congregation, a kind of sexual immorality that the world would be ashamed to approve of. There's lack of church discipline. There are divisions and arguments. There's selfishness. There's greed and self-centeredness, even at the Lord's table. Now, that's pretty painful. 
It's pretty unpleasant. And yet, out of this pain, out of this very unpleasant situation and this very strong letter and response, we get in chapters 12 and 13 one of the most beautiful descriptions of the unity in diversity of the body of Christ. How every member is valuable and significant, indispensable, that means they're needed, each one with their own specific spirit-given gifts, which work together to bind the body together in the love of God. And this flows into chapter 13, where Paul gives some of the most beautiful words written in the English language as it describes love. Those well-known words of chapter 13. Now, we We've seen this before. At the beginning of the home visit season, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, and, and we saw there in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gives the, the gifts of the Spirit to the church to build up the body of Christ. And it's something to note here that in Ephesians and in Romans and in other places where Paul speaks about the gifts of the Spirit, he focuses on the ones that remain. It's only here in Corinthians that he talks about the temporary ones, because that was the problem. But there in Ephesians, he focuses on the, the gifts, especially of the teaching offices in the church, the pastoring offices, which are given to the church to build up the body, to equip the saints for ministry, so that each member can grow and, and working properly can make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the whole purpose. And we saw that at the beginning of this home visit season. And now we're at the end of the home visit season. And we're going to take another look at God's design and purpose for the body of Christ. That there are many gifts. And there's one purpose. And that is the building up of the body in love. So we'll scan a little faster than usual through the chapter. It's a long chapter, so I can't go quite as slowly verse by verse, but nevertheless, if you have your Bible open, it will help you. Chapters, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Paul begins his discussion by saying, look, you're going to talk, you're going to act according to the spirit that is within you. If you have the spirit of idolatry in you, the spirit of slavery to sin, that's what you're going to look like. You're going to talk like that. You're going to live like that. If that's the spirit you have, you can't worship God. You can't see Jesus as Lord, and you certainly can't live with that confession. You can't live with Jesus as your Lord because you cling to sin. And when you cling to sin, then what you are saying, when you worship idolatry, then what you are saying is Jesus is accursed. Those are the two ways. Those are the only two options. Either you have the Spirit of God and you say and you think and you live in such a way that it is obvious that your confession is, Jesus is Lord. Or you have the spirit of slavery and idolatry. And you think and you talk and you live with that confession that Jesus is accursed. Those are the only two options. That's why the church administers discipline. Because when somebody in the church holds on to sin and says, I'm not going to let it go. I love it too much. It's too, it's too important to me. I will serve Jesus, but I want to hold on to this sin. Then the church says, you can't do that. Because if you continue in sin, 
and you don't desire to turn from it, you don't desire to be freed from slavery to it, then despite being a member on paper of the church, despite carrying the very sign of the covenant in your forehead, you are saying, you are thinking, you are living in such a way as to confess that Jesus is accursed. And if that's your confession, you may not remain in the assembly of God's people. Those are the two ways to live. Well, actually, there's, there's the one way to live, and there's the other way to die. Now, Paul is focusing here on correcting the spiritual. And if you look at chapter 12, verse 1, you'll see maybe a little note in your ESV. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, and you'll see a little note that that can just also mean spiritual things or spiritual people. And I, 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 I tend to think that that he's focusing on both. He's focusing on the spiritual gifts, but also the, the people that say, well, we've got these gifts. We're the spiritual people. We're like the top-level, top-shelf Christians because we've got these really amazing gifts that other people don't have. And so we're better than others. We're real Christians. And what Paul is saying in these first verses is, well, look, you can't divide God's people up into some that are good Christians and some that are just kind of, you know, pedestrian Christians. There are, there are many nowadays that do that. They say, if you can't speak in tongues, if you don't have the second blessing, well, maybe you're a Christian, but you're a really bad one. And so everybody strives to speak in tongues. Everybody strives to have that second blessing. And Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. Everyone who says Jesus is Lord, everyone who says it and lives it, is a spirit-filled Christian. We're all real Christians. But here's the point. Real Christians are real different. We're not all the same. We don't all have the same gifts. And that's what he launches into in verse 4. He says, you spiritual people that are so impressed with yourselves because you've got these fantastic gifts which are really impressive, and you're saying everybody should be like you, you have to understand that that's not the way the body works. In fact, it's the opposite. God made the body so that everybody has something else, something different to contribute. There is one giver. There are many gifts. There is one origin for, for these gifts. That's the Holy Spirit. And there is one objective. Look there at verse 7. The objective is what? Not my glory. Not, hey, look, I'm a really amazing Christian. Look there in verse 7. The objective is the common Good, the building up of the body. And like I already said, Paul now in these verses 4 through to 11 lists a lot of the special and temporary gifts because these are the ones that the Corinthians were most excited about, most carried away with. And there are Christians today that say, well, if we don't have those gifts, then are we really a spirit-filled church? Maybe you've asked that yourself. Maybe you thought that yourself. Well, do we really have the Holy Spirit if nobody's standing up and speaking in tongues? Like, how does that work? Because Paul talks about it. Have we lost the Spirit? Well, brothers and sisters, that's a whole sermon on its own, and we might get there if we continue through the chapters following this chapter. But let me just summarize it this way with an example. Yesterday, I don't know if you saw it. I didn't, but uh, it was on social media and on the Internet and on TV, the coronation of our king. King Charles, 
And I, I did see the, the uh, order of the coronation written out, and I saw that it had a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of ritual. And I did see just a couple of seconds of the actual placing of the crown on our sovereign's head. And so a lot of bells and whistles and fireworks and impressive things surrounding the coronation. Because he's king. He came into his office yesterday. Officially, he was crowned. Now, if King Charles will visit in the future, which he probably will, if he visits Canada, it's unlikely we'll see him in that crown. It's unlikely we'll see him in a, surrounded by that much pomp and circumstance. He'll probably just be in a suit, a suit and a tie. And if he comes in a suit and a tie and he visits maybe Edmonton and one of the children says, no, no, that's not the king. That's not the king. No, it's not. Because, because the king has a crown and he has trumpets and he has all these rituals and scepters and all these pages and all this stuff happening. I don't see that, so therefore this is not the king. Well, then that child obviously is a foolish child that doesn't understand how things work. But all the pomp and circumstance is to mark a special occasion. And that's basically the pomp and circumstance, all the impressive things that the Holy Spirit did in the first century were to mark the beginning of a new stage in the church with the Spirit outpoured, with the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And before the scriptures were totally complete, these special gifts were given. That doesn't mean to say that because they're not existing anymore today, that the word is any less powerful, or that the Spirit has ceased to give gifts. The temporal passes away, that which is complete and perfect remains, and that is the Word of God. And so the point that remains is this. Even though he's listing the special gifts, the point remains for every gift. There are various gifts, all types of gifts. There's one Spirit and now look at verse 11. Who decides who gets what? Well, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is a sovereign decision of God the Holy Spirit. He decides what my gift is, what your gift is. Now, this is important. Back in the day and also today, there are Christians that say, if you, if you don't have this gift or that gift, you're not a good Christian. And then they guilt people. And then we think, well, if I, I want to be a good Christian, so i got to really try hard to get that gift. In my work in South America, I worked with people that had spent many years thinking they were bad Christians because they couldn't speak in tongues. Now, that gift no longer ordinarily exists. But they were still trying to get it. And so what they would do is they would fake it and fake it and fake it until they thought they might make it because they didn't want people to think they were a bad Christian. But the Bible takes all that pressure off us. It's not something we have to do. It's not something we have to make happen. He empowers. You see that in verse 11? He decides, he apportions to each one individually. It's tailor-made, custom-made just for you, your gifts. And he empowers. That's very comforting. It's comforting for all of us. It's comforting for those brothers who will be elected after this service. And ordained in a few weeks' time, when God calls, he equips, 
and he empowers. Your name's on the list, and you think, you, you think well, what is my name doing there? How can I do this? Well, that's how all of the office bearers feel. That's how I feel every Sunday. How can I even do this? And we can't. Not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, not with our own energy and power, but we do it because God calls us. And when he calls us, he equips and he empowers. And that's true for every single one of us. Whatever God has called you to do, whatever gift he's given to you, he's decided that's for you, and he gives you the strength to use it. And so we move on to verses 12 to the rest of the chapter. As Paul celebrates the sovereign, gracious gifts of the Spirit, as he celebrates the unity in diversity of the church. And that unity in diversity reflects the character of God. God is three in one. God is Father, Son, Spirit, a glorious diversity of persons in the unity of the Godhead. There is one God. He's not in parts. Father is fully God. Son is fully God. Spirit is fully God. And so God is this glorious unity in diversity. And in a pale way, we reflect that. It's just a reflection because we are parts. We are different parts, members of the body. God is not made up of parts. We are. But yet, as we're all individuals, we're bound up together in our individual diversity into this glorious unity. And that is a reflection of the character of God. Think of your body, where your body is. Every member of your body shares in your spirit, in your life. But each member of your body is unique and, and different and Every one of them is so important. If I were to give you a knife and say, okay, choose a member of your body to slice off, you'd say, no, thank you. They're all important. I don't want to lose any of them. Because everyone is created by God with its place and its function. And so it doesn't make any sense in the body of Christ to say, well, I don't have that gift, therefore I'm... I really don't contribute anything. It doesn't make sense to the body of Christ to say, well, that sister over there, she has all these different gifts, and, and I have nothing. I'm just, I'm just useless. I'm just dead weight. That's not true. That's a lie that your enemy is telling you. Simply not true. You are a precious, valuable, beloved member of the body of Christ, and you, I'm not saying this, God's saying this, you have been given the gifts that God, the Holy Spirit, has apportioned for you. And if that's what he's done, you can't say he hasn't done it. You need to embrace it. Embrace who you are and who he has made you to be. And so Paul talks about that using the body language. Look at verse 15. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That doesn't make any sense. But that's sometimes what we do, isn't it? We think, I'm not like brother so-and-so, I'm not like sister so-and-so. I don't do this, I don't do that, I'm not on that committee, I don't have this gift, I don't have this task, I don't have this function, therefore, I don't belong. Simply not true. So there's the one thing that Paul is emphasizing, that every one of us has a vital place and function. 
But then he also cautions us against thinking that it would be a good idea if we all had the same function. Sometimes we look at a certain gift and we think, wow, that's a really nice gift. I wish I had that and, and, and I wish everybody had that. And Paul corrects us on this in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? It doesn't make sense. It's bad for the church if everyone is exactly the same. If everyone does the same things and has the same gifts, that would be a church which is not healthy, a church which doesn't function. It would, like your, it would be like your body being a giant eyeball. Well, that would really limit your life, wouldn't it? If, you're, if you were just a giant eyeball, you would see very well, but that's about it. It just doesn't make sense for every member of the body to be the same thing. What we need is a glorious variety. We need every part different and working together so that the, the actual body of Christ is actually greater than the sum of its parts. Now, who gets to decide all this? Well, look at verse 18. God arranges he arranges the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. This is important. We don't get to look at a list of gifts and say, that's the one, that one, that one I want, and this one I don't want. That's not how it works. God decides. God apportions. God chooses. And it's for us to simply submit. To simply bow the knee. To simply say, Lord, this is your will, and it is good. Can you do that? Are you at peace? Are you content? Do you accept who God made you to be? Do you accept the place that he has given you? Do you accept the tasks, the functions, the gifts that he has apportioned to you? And we just heard the law. You shall not covet. And we can add something which fits with the spirit of the commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's gifts. But don't we do that? I know I do sometimes. Say, Lord, look at that person. I wish I had that. Why didn't you make me more like that person? We're so quick to want things to be different so that we fail to see the, the glory of God's work in our individual lives. Brother, sister, you need to understand that you are a unique individual in the body of Christ, in the place and with the function and the tasks and the gifts that God has chosen to give you, and that in that place and in those gifts, you are precious and you are valuable, you are important, and you are exactly as God has chosen you to be. And what you need to do to live well and to flourish is to embrace God's will for you. That's what he calls us to do. He calls us to accept. He calls us to celebrate our place and our function, our gifts. To accept and celebrate the place and the function and the gifts of others. And this is important. All of this happens in community. All of this happens in Union and unity, the diversity, the variety happens in unity. Back in Corinth, 
that was the problem. Some of them were saying, well, look, this is the gift that God has given me. It's a pretty impressive gift. Here I go. I'm off to exercise this gift. And actually, in the worship services, they were so eager, as I already said, they were so eager to exercise their gifts that they would sometimes say, hey, be quiet, sit down, it's my turn, because I'm so excited to show you how much power the Holy Spirit is in me. And so it was all about me. It's all about my glory and my gifts. It was me and Jesus and my gifts. And Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. We exist for God and we exist for each other. We need one another. In a properly functioning body, we serve one another. We feel each other's pain and joy. Think about it. How often does your little toe come to mind? Do you think a lot about your little toe? Pick a foot, right foot, left foot, doesn't matter. Do you think about it very often? I don't think many of us think a lot about our little toe, but what happens when you bump into a sharp corner on the furniture with your little toe? Suddenly, you know about your little toe, and it's very, very important to you. You feel its pain through your whole body. Everything stops as you focus on that pain. And that's how it ought to work in a proper and healthily functioning body of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one suffers alone. You have no right to suffer alone. You know, sometimes we visit people and they say, well, don't, don't put it in the church news. Don't, don't pray for it. Don't tell people. What? How is that possible? If, if if you don't let the body know the pain of one member, that means that there's something terribly wrong. There are children that are born with no nerves, no feeling, no sensation of pain. They lean on the hot stove and they don't realize that they're burning their hand because they can't feel it. That's unhealthy when the body can't know about the pain of the individual members. We need to share our joys and our burdens. Now, the apostle says, as he continues to use the body as an example, that some body parts are visible and full display, and others are hidden, whether they're inside, so you can't see them normally, or they're covered due to modesty. And what Paul is saying here is that visibility is not directly proportional to importance. For most of us, I think for all of us, no one can see our kidney, kidneys. But when our kidneys don't work, or they're in pain, we suddenly realize how important the kidney is. And there are parts of the body that we cover due to modesty. And they have to do with the creation of new life. With the creation, the development, the building, the nurture of new life, a new human being who will exist for all eternity. And those parts of the body which have such a glorious function, we cover in modesty. Now, what's the point of the apostle here? Well, the point is this, that your, the importance of your gift and your contribution to the body is not directly proportional to how visible you are. That's an easy thing to fall into. You may think, well, I'm not up, I'm not up at the front. I'm not in the pulpit. I'm not shaking the minister's hand. I'm not uh, opening the service with, with the announcements before the service. I'm not playing. 
an accompanying, I'm not collecting the offerings, I'm not visible, therefore I am not contributing. And the apostle says, well, often some of the most important work is done by the members that aren't visible. That's how God works, actually. Much of God's work is done off the radar. It's done behind the scenes as believers love one another, as they carry one another's burdens, as they share one another's joys and sorrows, as they minister to one another, encourage one another, build one another up. That's the work of God, each one with our own gifts. So don't despise your gift just because it may not necessarily put you in the limelight in front of the congregation. Don't despise your gift because God has given it to you. God has sovereignly ordained your role and your place in the body of Christ and your daily faithfulness in the life that God has given you. The life that God has given you to live, your daily faithfulness in that brings glory to God and blessing to God's people. You may be a mother and one day just kind of flows into the next of dirty dishes and dirty diapers and, and cleaning and, and cooking and wiping noses, and you may be exhausted. And you may not even have the energy to get out to Bible study. And you may think, well, what am I good for? What am I contributing to the body? I really am a member with nothing to contribute. Well, how wrong you are if you think that. That's not the truth of God. That's the lie of the enemy. You are nurturing sons and daughters of the living God. You are nurturing little humans who will exist into all eternity as part of the great worshiping congregation. And if Jesus delays his return... Your loving nurture of body and soul and mind of your children may just at that great day, you may see the results of it in generations and generations of those who will come from your child and be brought up in the same way. And so you may look at someone that's doing all this impressive stuff and maybe all that impressive stuff's going to burn up one day if they're married to their career, and here you are fulfilling a glorious, glorious task in the kingdom of God, which has massive and glorious and eternal consequences. Embrace the gifts, the place, the role that God has given you. And you may be hearing this and saying, well, that's all very nice, but I'm not married, or I am married, but I don't have children. So what about me? Well, brother and sister, I can't go through all the, all the gifts, but every one of us has a calling. Every one of us has the gifts that go with the calling. Every one of us has a vital role that has eternal consequences. And even now, you are being used by the Spirit of Christ in your place, in your role, with your gifts. You are being used by the Spirit of Christ to build up the body in love, to embrace 
And there, so, so therefore, embrace his sovereign will. Embrace his will for your life. That's the way to live a life of joy and to live a life of flourishing. You may be here this morning thinking, well, I have nothing to give because I just take. I'm sick. I'm afflicted. I get meal trains. I, or I should, but I don't, I don't want people to know, so I don't ask. But all, all I am is someone that's a big black hole. I'm just taking and taking and needing and needing and receiving and receiving, and I have nothing to offer. Really? I hope that by now you understand that that's not something you're allowed to say. I mean, you might think it, but it's simply not true. God has placed you in your suffering. He's given you that affliction, that sickness, that pain. And one of the reasons he has done that is to give the body of Christ an opportunity to love you, to show that love by cooking for you, by cleaning for you, by driving you to appointments, by, by being there for you, by helping you, serving you, ministering to you, loving you, encouraging you, praying for you. Don't take that away from the body. If that's your gift, if your gift is to incite the love of God's people, to give them opportunity to show love, don't steal that from them. Don't tell the elders, keep it out of the church news, keep it out of the prayers. Don't do that. Don't say, I'm not going to call the deacons for a meal train because, because I'm always the one bringing the meal train, so how can I possibly receive one? Don't do that. God gives you that gift, lean into it, embrace it, and glorify him in it. Well, today we elect four new elders and one new deacon. It's a great blessing to receive new office bearers, to replace those who are retiring from their mandates. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. But they, the office bearers, we are not the point. We're not really the main thing at all. Christ is the main thing, and the body of Christ together with him. And so as we consider the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and as we consider the election this morning, I think we can see from our text this morning that God doesn't want us to be simple spectators. We're not choosing new team members for us to sit back and watch them play the game. That's not how it works. These men will be chosen to serve you, to minister to you, to build you up, to equip you for the task of ministry. And I want to read Ephesians 4, 11, and following again. This is where we were at the beginning of home visit season. Ephesians 4 verse 11. There's the dynamic here that the office bearers are here to promote and equip the working of the body. Verse 11 of chapter 4, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Notice that all the special gifts have been forgotten now because that, that's not in, in view here. There's the permanent ones that he talks about. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's you. For building up the body of Christ. That's you. 
until we all, that's you, attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, that's you, using your gifts, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what the Spirit is doing. Also through this election this morning, the Holy Spirit, through the church, he works to call these men to use their gifts in service to building up the body of Christ in love. And the Holy Spirit reminds you this morning that you are to use these resources, also your elders and deacons and your pastor, to grow in being a living member. That you are, that I am, all of us are, to use our gifts cheerfully and willingly to build up the body. This is the way of love. I'm not here as a consumer. I'm not here as a critic. I'm not here as a taker. I'm not here merely as an observer. I'm not here just to show up and leave. But I am here as a living member of the body of Christ. I am here to minister. I am here to give. I am here to contribute. I am here to pour myself out, to serve, because this is true love. And that makes sense, because this is the body of Christ. And every member is filled with the Spirit of Christ. And every member joyfully accepts their role in Christ. And when every member does that, every member reflects the character of Christ. Every member lives in the love of Christ. This is who we are in him. We love. We love unreservedly. We love unconditionally. As Jesus himself did, so we do. As he loved, so we love. We take everything we have, we take everything we are, and we pour ourselves out in love for God and for our neighbor. This is what happens when the Spirit is upon us with power. He binds us all together in faith and true accord. He brings power from God above and with the Son and Father dwells in our hearts in love. He bids us live together in unity and peace, employ his gifts in blessing, and let base passions cease. Amen.